Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and joining me today is my colleague, Mr. Tim Perkins. Hello, Daniel. How's things? Not too shabby, mate. Yourself? Never been better. Never been better. No. Quite the call. Quite Ever. the call. Ever. Yeah, it's a good day. Excellent. It's a good day. It is a good day. Happy and well. Excellent. Excellent. Sitting here opposite my mate Dan, (laughs) having a bit of a chat into the cans. Are these the cans? No, we wear no, the cans. You wear the cans. We change the, the cans. That's why it's, that's why it's not mic. been working the first, <laughs> <laughs> the first 48 episodes. You've been chatting into the headphones. Talking into the headphones. <laughs> right. Today's episode, you are sitting down and chatting with one of Australia's best known Olympians. Yeah. Yeah. The lovely Jana Pittman. Um, we had a really great chat earlier this year. And, uh, you know, Jana Pittman, a lot of people will know about Jana. She ran uh, the 400 metres hurdles uh, with incredible success, although not quite the level of success she ultimately wanted. Mm. She won everything yeah. other other than the gold, the Olympic gold, which mm. was her real dream. And uh, she's a very driven person. Yeah. So how did you end up um, chatting with her? Well, you know, Dan, I was having a bit of a run one morning, yeah. as I like to do. And uh, somewhere a long way into the distance, I saw this little figure. So I ran, caught up, as I usually do with whoever's running in front of me, passed them, recognised her. I think it was the green and gold tracksuit that got me in. Looked at her, she looked at me. She was pretty impressed with what she saw. I ran past and then I thought, oh, look, she's an Olympian. I probably should have a chat. Fair enough. So an hour or so later when she caught me, we, uh, <laughs> I said to her, Yana, would you like to have a coffee? My shout. Let's have a bit of a chat about uh, your career yep. and let's talk about resilience and mindset. Yep. And she said, oh, when, I, when I catch my breath, <laughs> I'd love to join you for a coffee, Tim. So eventually that's what we did. We did. And you sat down, you recorded it. So it is, it is uh, recorded in situ at the, at the coffee shop. So there's a bit of background activity. It is. It's, it's not the quietest. It's not, the, uh, yeah, it's not done in a studio, this one. We did it in a cafe. Yeah. And um, so there's a bit of background noise, including her, uh, her baby. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, but it's, uh, it's a very raw chat. She's a very authentic human being, Yana mm. Pittman, and she's very happy to be vulnerable. And, you know, the running jokes aside, I'd, I'd previously read her book and uh, was really keen to have a chat with her. And explore what success meant to her what resilience meant to her Mm. and how her mindset allowed her to be the incredible champion that she was and what she's done since her running career Mm. which is uh pretty impressive as well and obviously given so much of our work is around resilience and mindset i'm I'm really looking forward to hearing this chat so so let's jump into it sitting here with diana pippen this morning um talking about the relationship between uh, resilience and mindset as they've impacted you uh, as as an elite athlete, but now also in your new career as a medical doctor. So um, welcome, Yana. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Yeah. Um, tell me, the title of your book, I've just finished reading your book, uh, <laughs> which is called Just Another Hurdle. And of course, obviously, um, you know, it's a nice play on words and your it professional is. theme. Was it a deliberate choice? Sure. Or do you think this sums up your approach to life as well? Uh, both, to be honest. Yeah. Obviously, having uh, competed in hurdles for so many years, it was yeah. a natural sort of inclination to put something athletic in the title. Yeah. Um, but that really has been my life. I do feel like I often come up against lots of little challenges, yeah. uh, hurdles, and therefore it's just about how you overcome those and push yeah. forward to whether you're going to be successful at your next goal in life. Yeah, and for you, hurdles are totally surmountable. 
Correct. is what you did for a career. Yes. Is that your life philosophy as well, that there's no hurdle that you really can't get over? Look, I mean, there are going to be some hurdles or some doors you just can't get through. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that, that at, at some point you're going to have to make a decision not to chase that goal. I never won the Olympic Games. So that was a giant hurdle that I never yeah. got over. Um, and never got over mentally for many years as well. So yeah. there's certainly going to be some times we can't conquer yeah. the dreams. But I certainly think if there's something you can put effort into and where there's a chance where it's about how much you apply yourself, then yeah. there's no hurdle that you can't sort of conquer in that respect. Yeah. Um, we'll get to the Olympics shortly. Tell me, just out of interest, um, 400 metres hurdles, is that the toughest athletic oh, event that there is? <laughs> is, is, there, is there, I mean, you've got a vested yes. interest in saying but Of course. Is there a general consensus amongst athletes so. that 400 hurdles is the toughest it gets? Absolutely. I think 400 is definitely one of the, we say, the bear or the piano on your back in the last 100 metres. It yeah. equates to a 200 um, butterfly. So it's the two yeah. events in the Olympics, which I think, yeah. because of the lactic acid, yeah. so it's between the two energy systems. So it's between your, your you know, your high um, energy, so sorry, your anaerobic and your aerobic systems yeah. in terms of how you're running. Yeah. So majority of time you vomit, majority of the times your legs don't work. And if you're a woman, majority of the times you struggle with your, you know, incontinence at the end of the race. So it's one of those horrible races that nobody wants to be involved. But if you win it, yeah, it's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Just out of interest as well, for the lay person who's listening, how high is a hurdle in the four hundred hurdles? Not too right? bad. So it's only. Oh, eight... that's by your version, but you're <laughs> six standards. foot tall. This is true. Yeah. Um, it depends. So ours are between seventy. So a woman's is around seventy-two, between seventy-two and seventy-six, and a man's can be right up to ninety centimeters. Yeah. In the 400 so seventy-two meters. or seventy-six is about the height of this cafe table, table that yeah, we're sitting that. at. Exactly. And so you're running that last hundred or two hundred with a bear it or a piano like on your back. It felt like it. That's yeah. what it feels like. It's and you're jumping over a cafe table. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah nice. Yeah. Ten times? Is ten it? times. Ten, yeah, times. ten yeah. little hurdles in the race. Excellent. But, um, easy. Yeah, easy. easy. <laughs> um, you, let's go back to your early years, Yana. You talk about your parents a lot in the book, um, your dad in particular, and you talked about them being tough but fair yeah. people. And I'm really interested as we sort of build up a bit of a picture of how you developed your resilience. Yes. Tell me about um, that toughness and fairness because we know that a lot of athletes are put on a bit of a pedestal by the people around them, yeah. their support teams, their parents, yes. and essentially they're only expected to do what they're brilliant at and a lot of excuses are made for them around that. Yeah, I get the family. feeling that wasn't the case in your family. <laughs> no. Um, I think majority is my, is my father, albeit that my mother is my best friend and yeah. my greatest support and would do anything for me and my family and my kids. Um, but my father is the one I learnt my resilience and my toughness from, um, partially because he... When he gave you love, it was overwhelming, but it was very rare. Yeah. So, and it was often associated to things you did well, or for example, athletics. He would come to all my carnivals with me, and he'd take. He worked like a dog. Like that mm. man works Christmas Day mm. until midnight. Like it's, mm. he's the hardest working human I've ever met. He's seventy odd years now, old now, and still on the building site every day. Mm. He's extraordinary. Um, and so he would take a day off work just to come and watch me run. So he, he would prioritise me, and mm. so therefore. Um, I think that relationship, that honour for, for him was always very, very strong. But he didn't take, I shouldn't swear, but he didn't take any bullshit. Mm. Like, in truth, if you the, if you don't study hard, then totally suck up. Totally you know? okay. yeah. yeah, If your marks aren't good enough because you didn't work, well, that's your problem. You know, yeah. he'll, he'll support you and be your biggest champion. Yeah. But if you didn't put the effort in, that's your fault. Yeah. And he was very strong in, in, in teaching us those associations that you can be great at something. And if you work really hard, you'll be extraordinary. But you can also be not great at something. And if you work hard there'll be a good outcome. So yeah. you, life is about putting your best effort in. doesn't matter if you get a D 
as long as you did you did your best. Mm. So that's the whole philosophy my family's sort of always been involved in. Um, and I think it's also because Dad had a terrible accident in his 20s. He always wanted to be a doctor, similar to me. Ah. Um, yeah, and he had a huge accident that put him in a coma for quite a few months. And when he came out, he just didn't have the mental capacity or the brain capacity, he thought, to do medicine. He went and did engineering, which to me is harder. So mm. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what he's, he's crazy about there. But yeah. um, so I think I, he learnt to overcome so many his own hurdles trying mm. to recover from that. Mm. It built him to be a very strong, very hard man. He also lost his parents very early. Mm. Uh, so I think he just he just had so many tragedies in his life that he had to overcome. Mm. He looked at life in such a positive way. How has that impacted, Yana, your mum of four kids now? I've just met your gorgeous little Charlie, who's yes. only a few months old. Um, how has the way you were brought up, and obviously huh. you, you, you're co-parenting now yeah. with your new husband, yeah. How is it? How does it work in the Pittman household? Is it is it tough love at your place, or are you reacting to it? No one's ever asked me that actually, and I have to be really honest. I'm probably not. I'm probably much softer than my parents yeah. were, mainly because we're, I'm a. The only one I can really use is my son, who's 14. So he's already an age where, um, you know, you're getting marked in exams and things like that. I think I go depending on the, the character of the child. So my son is not driven. He doesn't. Success to him is not important. So therefore, I don't push it in him. Whereas my six-year-old daughter is very driven in that way and so therefore I'm, I'm able to push her a little bit because she is more resilient naturally so she takes the she takes the positive criticism quite well come on buddy that's not quite neat enough let's do it again yeah. if I said that to my son he would just oh I don't want to do it then mum forget yeah. it yeah. so there's I have to parent them very differently um, although in saying that I think my parents did that with me too I think they could see straight away from the beginning that I was a hardcore push her work hard she yeah. wants she likes the success yeah. so I was resilient in my natural nature um, yeah, but not every kid is, and you'd be yeah. very careful because if you crush them, especially in school, yeah. it could change the, the, the whole career pathway for where their life if they don't feel like they've got that that strength. Yeah. And I learned that the hard way because I did try to push my son, and it did not work. He just yeah. resented me for it. Yeah. And since I've stopped pushing him in high school of all times, I used to push him in the primary school a little bit. So I've really backed off my yeah. my intensity with him. Um, he's so much happier. He's doing better at school, yeah. and and I'm a happier mum because I'm not. Ah, 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 constantly yeah. at him. That's really interesting to different. hear you say that, mm. you know, of course we are all different and yeah. we select sometimes, you know, in my case I selected different schools for my two yes, boys exactly. because they're different people They're different people, yeah. and they needed that. But parenting them differently is quite an interesting thing. I have to parent them differently. Like it's a bit of a bugger, to be honest, <laughs> to have, you know, a, a Commonwealth, multiple Commonwealth <laughs> Games gold medalist, world champion, Olympian in two sports. Yeah. As your mother, if you just want to chill out on the lounge a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's a bit tough. And I, and I have to think of that sometimes. Yeah. Someone, I'm, I can't remember who, did, who told me this, but it was someone, someone at the hospital, so a doctor at times, said, you would be hard to have as a mother yeah. because that poor kid's got to live up to you. You yeah. know, you're not only a medicine, you know, a, an athlete, you've also gone and done medicine. Like, yeah. what, what's he going to be the best yeah, in? Exactly. So I have to let him find what he loves yeah. and then be brilliant at it. Yeah. So, or not. He could just be yeah, happy. Yeah happy being yeah. he wants to be a teacher for example that's what he wants to do a maths teacher wow. which I think is amazing we need more male maths teachers it absolutely would be, it well would be you're speaking <laughs> you're speaking to one oh, so it's uh, so, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that that's yeah, fantastic that's what, and I think great if that's yeah. what he wants to do and he's, he's brilliant with kids brilliant yeah. with his siblings so maybe that's his talent, his people. Well, maybe send him along to our next meeting and uh, we can do a bit of mentoring there. I can't teach him how to run. You can teach uh, him how to, to do maths teaching. Do a bit of maths yeah. teaching yeah, for sure. Um, so. You got to a really interesting point in your career, Yana, because you were, a, you were just a natural runner. You yes, had, I was very lucky. You had the mechanics, yeah, you had the height, you had the desire. You were just quick. Yes. And, uh, yes. and that was a fantastic thing for you and you had great success as you joined the athletics. 
And then you got to a point where your natural ability was no longer enough. Tell us a bit about that. Correct. So I think, yes, at primary school, you know, I, because of being so large, um, I think they just automatically, I could run. Yeah. And they thought, okay, we'll put her into athletics and see what happens. Um, and I loved winning. You know, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But it certainly came to around about age 10 or 11 where other kids were starting to train and get coaches. And I didn't. In fact, I refused a little bit. I was a little bit stubborn in that, in that setting. Lots of other things that gauging, like catching my interest. Um, and they beat me. I vividly remember just not being able to make the final at state champs and coming dead last. And it was just, it was, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and also, as, a, as, a, as I've written in my book, that my parents were strong that if you don't train, we're not going to let you go overseas. We're not let you going to go over to, to the first time you ever go on a plane. So there was a, there was an amazing, amazing opportunity to go overseas in the championships to New Zealand, which I made because I was good enough. Um, but because I wasn't putting the effort in, they, they pulled me out of it and didn't. I still had the uniform, still have the uniform actually, one of the tops to remind me of the that sore loser effort. That is an extraordinary <laughs> story because yeah. from what you tell in the book, what was expected of you wasn't that much, which no. was to run around the run block, around block once. three it's times a week. That's it, yeah. And, and the block was about block. a 10 minute yeah. run. <laughs> it's tiny. Yeah, For a I woman who's trained so hard I since, know. to the to the point where you seem to vomit at m on most most yeah, training still sessions. Do this morning. <laughs> yeah, um, that yeah. that you couldn't do that, and yet your dad stayed so hardcore about it. That's correct. Did he do the right thing? I think so because. Yeah. But the thing is, it's different mindsets in that in that moment there though, because I could have taken that moment and said, "I oh, will bugger it. I'm never going to do athletics again. Stuff yeah, it. Yeah. I'll go do something else or just done nothing," mm. um, which my son would do. So mm. that would not work with my with my son yeah. and not allowing him to do it would make no difference you have to celebrate his victories of getting into the trans-tasman kind yeah. of thing whereas for me it was like right i never want to feel like that again that yeah. was the worst feeling ever to be denied something i wanted so much but yeah. clearly didn't want enough because i didn't work for it mm. so it taught me at a very young age that if, if you want something you must work for it it yeah. doesn't get handed to you on a silver platter which is a hard lesson to learn at such a young age because you were what 10. 11 or you were 10 <laughs> because 11, up, 10, and, 11, yeah. up until then it had been handed to you on yes. a silver platter right yeah, it was just enough to turn up and yeah. you'd win well even even with my spikes my parents did not let me have spikes until I was made the state championships. So even though I was at Little Athletics, I ran on bare feet for the first for under eights and under nines. Mm. So under nines when I started, under nines and under tens. And when I made my first state championships, we went out and had a huge event and got given this beautiful pair of spikes. Yeah, wow. So they've always had a, a system of you you won't always just be given something. Mm. You've got to work for it. Yeah. So celebrating the wins—that's a really celebrate interesting wins, thing. Yeah. I wonder if Kathy Freeman might have a similar story to that, running I'm barefoot sure she until yeah. she had a good and win and right. got her first and pair got, of spikes. Got them given to her. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that trip and what your dad did with you there—I find that quite a fascinating one. And I would imagine—I'd be interested in your thoughts. Do you think that that has contributed directly to your sense of resilience 100%. in life? I did it to myself again when I was about sixteen, funnily enough. Yeah. So um, yes, but no little tiny moments like that, despite being so young have completely dictated to, to me my, the way I do anything in life. Yeah. And it happened again when I was in Adelaide um, many, many, many years later. I had an opportunity to run against Cathy Freeman mm. and I got too scared to actually do it. So I remember I warmed up with her and I was so excited to be in the race with her. It was the first time I was ever going to actually be in the race with her. Uh, but it was her race rather than your her race. Is that right? It was, was a 400 metres. It was only 400 metres. But no hurdles. No hurdles, because yeah. at that stage I was running more fours and four hurdles. So okay. I, for the World Juniors, I ran both, the four yeah. and the four hurdles. So at this stage I was doing probably, there was no four hurdles yet, okay. So because I was too young. So I was running a flat 400, so yeah, no hurdles, and I got too scared. So I went into the bathroom, and I sat there and didn't wait. I waited till the race was over, and then I came out and blamed a sore hamstring and didn't do it. And mm. I vividly remember sitting after there afterwards feeling like such a coward, mm. because I'd completely sabotaged my own opportunity mm. to have, I mean, I'm just never going to beat Cathy Freeman. I was 16 years old. Like, mm. <laughs> come on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what in my 
my head thought that there was ever going to be a chance, but yeah. I was too embarrassed. I was too embarrassed to be left for dead. Yeah. So, and I learned from that, and I use that in a lot of my motivational speeches now because mm. I, I still can still feel that ache in my heart of how mm. bad I felt for just failing because I didn't try. Yeah, because you tell the story in the book of actually sitting in the prep room with her and That's right. watching everything, everything that she, she did. did and copying I followed her. everything. Yep. And then you got Everything. the heavy-jeevies that yeah, you I pulled did. out. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is the year before the Sydney Olympics, Olympics, is that right? That's correct, Vietnam. As it turns out, you also ran in those I Olympics, did. you know. Yeah. Uh, so but was, not a fear anymore. Yeah. I still vomited on the start line in Sydney, I do remember that, just because of the sheer nerves. But I yeah. never, ever, ever, ever gave up again. Yeah. So I've always, I always remember, there's only one other time I almost gave up a little bit, actually, and that was in the Athens final at the Olympics, because my knee was so bloody sore from yeah. when I had the operation. But other than that, there's never, ever been a time in my ever in my career where I've given yeah. up. But there's been another, you know, we jump forward to this, but there's been another interesting experience for you when you were in Victoria and you sat the GAMSAT, the, oh, yeah, that was the test to get into <laughs> medical school. That's correct. And you tell that story, and it's so powerful when you tell that story of getting the results, mm. opening the results nervously, yep. and discovering you'd failed, you didn't yep. get in. Terrific. Um, and yeah, you said that that was the lowest point of your life. It was the lowest life. point of my entire life. Yeah. Because everything fell apart that year. I lost my marriage. I'd lost the London Olympics again. And in my heart, I was always one of those people that said, oh, I did athletics, that's why I couldn't be a doctor, because there was no time to do both. Mm. And because of that sheer thud of failure in your face, mm. it was it was very hard. Because yeah. my, my marks had been fine at uni and really good at school, so mm. I just assumed it was a given. And then again, it was like a test of, no, it's not a given. You need to work mm. for this. Yeah. This is just not going to be handed to you yeah. again. Study harder. <laughs> yeah, because you say in the book as well that it would have been very easy for you to say athletics, medicine, yep. I chose athletics, yes, I exactly. reached the highest peak and therefore let yourself off the yes, hook. very easy. Because one of the things, and you know, and I've, I've said this in my notes here, one of the things, that, it might seem a strange thing to say to you about your book, but it actually made me very sad, your book. I was sad really? a lot of the way through <laughs> <Sorry>. your book. <laughs> I don't need to apologise. It was empathy because you've been to hell and back. Yeah. You've Often really been to hell and back. <laughs> not always, though, right? You know, not it's, always, uh, no. not it's definitely not always. In fact, I, I disagree with you there. <laughs> you know, because the injuries weren't self-inflicted. No, that's no. That's you know, that, you went, that's hard. You've had failure, and but I've also heard you talk in an interview about you've had you failed so many times in your own eyes. Perhaps your eyes more, more so than, than other others, people's. Yeah. Always our hardest critic. Yeah, <laughs> um, you failed so many times, but that's allowed you to have the extreme level of success that you've had. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, for me, that I think that's the only reason why. Because you, you get hit in the face so many times, the pain doesn't hurt anymore. Mm. Like, who cares? If you, it's, I think what, the only could be worse would be a high jumper, which literally fails every time they do yeah, yeah. their event. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I feel like I've just had so many brick walls come up against it. That mm. Your level of care and your care factor is reduced. So, therefore, yeah. you're, you're prepared to look like an idiot. You're yeah. prepared to put yourself out there a little bit more. Um, and I think you start prioritising the things that really matter more as well. Yeah. The problem is I often failed in those as well, which was interesting, like the Olympics and medicine the first time. Yeah. Relationships over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Failure is such an interesting thing. What's, have you got a... How do you explain failure? You know, your young boy, Cor, or, or your other kids, mm. people who you mentor as athletes or young doctors or whatever... Well, some people would What's, say there is no failure because it's yeah. about the journey. So I, I do I do buy into that as well. Yeah. That ultimately, you know, you set a goal, a very lofty... Oh, let that go past. <laughs> you set a very large, lofty goal. And ultimately, there are multiple things to 
accelerate along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I didn't fail in athletics. I failed at the actual ultimate goal that I wanted, mm-hmm. um, but I certainly didn't fail along the way. You know, yeah. I had incredible experiences and success throughout my career, but I still feel like I failed the final challenge. Yeah. And that happens in, you know, I'm a celebrity, get me out of there. There's lots of different ways that yeah. people are going to fail. Um, and hopefully, as you get closer to that, that top goal, you find something else to throw all your energy in so that you can actually avoid the feelings of that mm. loss of success. And that's where, I, that's where something I've always been very strong in resilience is as you're getting very, very close to the pinnacle of where your goal comes to fruition, you need to have something else kicking off at the same time. Yeah. And that's always where I've. You, you talk people. about these lofty goals as well, which is I really interesting. Because if, if, if you're trying to protect yourself in any way, and what yeah, I've noticed I through reading that. your book. <laughs> You are good at being vulnerable. Yeah, I am. You know, you don't right. you don't paint a brilliant picture of yourself in that book in many circumstances. I know. And yet you wrote it. Yep. It's about you. No one edited it. I did the whole thing. You did the whole thing. Yep. I'm really interested in no that because most sports people have a ghost writer. I know, no. So not only Olympian and gold medalist <laughs> and world champion, yeah, doctor, author. Mm. You set very lofty goals. People who've experienced failure, my guess is that they're more inclined to reduce the level of their goals so that they can have some success. That's not your approach. I don't know why. I, tr- I am trying, like to be honest with you, I am, as I'm getting older, trying to reduce, and I do, I do not put it on anybody else, which is interesting. Like I don't put it on my kids. I don't care if they're never successful. In fact, I don't want them to follow my footsteps. But I don't know why. I've just always enjoyed it. Mm. I've always enjoyed that uncomfortable feeling of... I don't know, of setting a huge goal and trying to achieve it. Yeah. Less so, though, since I... You've got to also remember, though, Tim, I didn't get the one in athletics. So I spent an entire career trying to get this one goal mm. and didn't get it. Mm. So I think what I was almost doing is looking for one more and almost giving myself, if I could get that one, I can relax in life. Yeah. And I have. So I set a huge goal in medicine yeah. and I got it. And I have been far less um, like that, far less tending to push for really yeah. lofty goals since that, yeah. since, since getting Although that goal. Although I'm guessing, and having heard you interviewed about your medical career as well, I'm guessing that getting that, um, graduating from medicine was really just one hurdle on your 10 hurdle race, yeah. and that you have some fairly lofty ambitions within <laughs> medicine. Yes, of course. But let, they're not as, um, I'm not as... It's not that I'm not as invested. I would love to do something extraordinary in medicine far more yeah. than I've done in athletics, of yeah. course, but I haven't found it yet, so I haven't mm. set that. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little bit more gentle on myself than I was in the past, yeah. is what I mean. People see your gold medals. People see your records. People see your medical degree. And we love success. You yeah. know, as a society, mm. well, we love... I don't know if we do. Mm. Okay. Let's, let's argue that point for a little while. Sure. Um, I think we like it in ourselves, but we don't always like seeing it in others. Yeah. And we're going to get to the media in a second, uh, which might be something you're touching on there. When we see success, though, when I think about Jana Pittman, you know, I know, I know, you know I've done the research for this, I know about your records, I yep. know about what you've done. Um, what we don't see, though, is the hard work. Mm, what we don't see is the sacrifice. You yeah. know, when we watch our favourite rugby league team win a grand final, when we watch the you Australian cricket team win a, yeah. a match, we don't see the hard work. We don't see the sacrifice. We don't see the failure, the rejection, literally the blood, sweat and tears that it took you or anyone else to get to where you got to. How do you feel about, you know, our society's emphasis on success and our apparent lack of interest, if you agree with me, yeah, and, and our, our yeah. apparent lack of interest in the backstory? Because for Do me, the backstory is really the mindset. Yeah, okay. For you, vomiting and all of the stuff that, that you went through. Do you not think that... 
I don't know. Maybe because I, I have seen it, because I've seen all what the yeah. athletes have been through. Yeah. Maybe if you talked about, or if I try and put it in the context of an, you know, a beautiful musician or yeah, someone yeah, who has sure. to work, where I don't know what the hours they've had to do yeah. and the sore fingers and the, yeah. you know, the stressful interviews and things where they've had to be on, mm. you know, on their game and things like that. I, I don't. Whereas with sport, because I know exactly what those footballers go through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so you do. So as a fellow athlete, you know the backstory. Yeah, exactly. Or you so can anticipate do, do you, the backstory. Do you think the general public don't know the backstory? Like, would they I, not be able to in, infer it? When you say, when I read in your book and you've said again this morning that you vomit pretty much every time you train, you vomit That's before races. It's totally shocking to yeah, me. And I actually yeah. wanted to ask you as a doctor, now... It's not healthy. <laughs> you know, is that healthy? Yeah, is that something you'd of. want your little kid to do? No, you know? no, no not really. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, I don't think the general public sees the backstory yeah. at all. We, you know, there's a lot of people in the general public who aren't in the spotlight like you are who have achieved wonderful things. Yeah, absolutely. But for a lot of people, the, the degree of effort and drama that you went to to achieve your goals is incomprehensible and probably yeah. unhealthy to most, most of us. To all, I would say. Truth. Looking yeah. back on it, you're right. I wouldn't, as especially now that I am a trained doctor and I know what the body is capable. And yeah. I'm not looking forward to my 60s. Let's say <laughs> what my poor body. I struggled to walk down the stairs this morning. I was yeah. like, oh god. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. Yeah, and I don't. And I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I see what your point. Your point. It would be great to do a TV show where we do see the backstory of yeah. training, of just following sports people around and seeing what they do on a day to day basis. Yeah. Mentally, more than physically. I think the physical part is like to be great. You all have to do that level yeah. of training. Um, and I think Instagram does give a bit more of an insight now because yeah. so many athletes post their training sessions yeah. so you can get a little bit more. But again, they're not going to post the, the session where they're vomiting up a hill and pooing their pants, are they? Yeah. Because that's not attractive. So yeah. I think maybe it would be great, yeah, if you could get the message out to people that says what you see in social media times it by twi- like two yeah. or maybe five yeah. because they're only going to sh- show the, the pretty shots, not the and how, ones. Yana, how do we translate it. that to kids? How do we say in the classroom? Because we, you know, yeah, we don't want kids pulling their pants and vomiting no. in class. <laughs> they don't need to go to that much effort. No. But how do we translate in, in mainstream society, perhaps in schools in particular, but even university courses, wherever, how do we translate that? Because you and I they've talk got to want it, Yeah, they've got to want you've got it. it. So somehow you've got to generate a want and a desire in that child before you start applying their actual effort. Mm. So they've got to... But they've got to find out. It's, I know we hear this a lot, but you've got to find what their why is. Like, yeah. why? Why did I want to win the Olympics? There's yeah. two sides of it. It was because I just really wanted that medal, and that was my goal. Yeah. But I also wanted to be liked. Yeah. So I definitely yeah. there's a part of my personality rolled up in there where I was a very nerdy kid. I didn't have many friends at school, and I thought winning an Olympic gold medal would mean that Australia would love me. Yeah. And with would probably wouldn't have made any difference to be honest because mm. I'm a very quirky personality and, I, and mm. I've accepted that now but I, so you've got to work out what, why does that kid want to do, become a doctor why mm. does that kid want to be a maths teacher mm. you know, what, are their, what is their motivation yeah. behind it and some kids literally will just want to find the easy way out and so finding something for them that is not too difficult but where they're really good at it so it yeah. becomes more natural is probably the best thing we can do with that kid because then if they start getting some successes where they don't have to apply themselves yeah. they'll be oh I like this yeah, this yeah. feels good and then they'll the why will be, well, I like the accolades and I like the feeling inside. Mm. So it's just, we, we have to find out their reasoning for, yeah. for, for what they want to do. And in a one-size-fits-all education system... It doesn't work like that, does it? It's really it's tricky, really tricky huh? yeah. So yeah. I suppose then part of the responsibility, a big part of the responsibility comes back to the parent. Yeah. So when you talk them. about your son, yeah. you can really identify in that with him, but yes. I wonder how his teachers go. And this isn't about bagging teachers. I am a teacher. Of course. You know, but <laughs> having 30 kids in your classroom is impossible. No, I, I know the teachers are struggling because I've had lots of parent-teacher interviews <laughs> where I've been called in to talk about yeah, these yeah. academics. Um, 
yeah, I, I think that would be one of the biggest challenges, which is why I couldn't be a teacher. My patience is too short. But uh, so hats off to all of you because yeah. you're amazing what you do with our kids. Um, but uh, yeah, it would be very challenging. Yeah. And I guess that's maybe where, as parents, we can get tutors involved to try and find the areas that they love, um, if we can afford it, obviously, because yeah. that doesn't come cheaply or really genuinely identifying whether they should stay in year 11 and 12. Like yeah. we had the conversation yeah. with my son yesterday. Yeah. Do you think that maybe an apprenticeship would be something that you'd like to consider in year 11 and 12? Just yeah. see it out, buddy. Finish year yeah. 9 and 10, see how you go. And, you know, maybe trade. Yeah. If you don't want to stay at school. No, 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 I love maths. Okay, focus on your maths. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah. what, are, what other options are? There's always options. Yeah. Another thing, I think the other big thing which I with children, especially at school level, is ensuring that they understand that there is, in this country, not other countries, so I know like for example, um, some countries, you like Philippines for example, that they go either straight into medicine, No mature, there's very few yeah. mature age students. Yeah. But our country is a country of, of opportunity. So if they change their mind in their 20s or 30s, they can become doctors, they can become, become lawyers, mm. they can become nurses, teachers, whatever, if they choose the wrong choice now. Yeah. And I think some of our kids do take a little bit longer to grow up yeah. and, and make those decisions. And how can we expect a 17-year-old to know, know what to they want to do with the rest right. of their life? I mean, it's a lot of pressure. Majority students do incredibly well at university, some yeah. like yourself do have stellar results. Yeah. But it's because you actually know what you want That's by right. that stage. And we're working exactly. And yeah. I was so obsessed with it, loved it. It was easy to study yeah, yeah. for something you adore. Yeah. Hey, you touched there, Yana, on the idea of you know being desperate for the approval of others. I've always wanting been a bit to like be that, liked. You yeah. know, and 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 being extrinsically motivated. Yeah. You talk about that in the book. After all, your incredible successes and achievements, is this starting to abate for uh, not you? Not really. Not I just really? accept it now. Yeah. So I accept that it's not going to happen, but I've, I don't know why. Yeah. It's a, it's, I've, I've tried to delve into my own mindset to yeah. understand why I'm slightly, like, I'm like that. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. It's just my makeup. Yeah. So I'm certainly far more intrinsically driven now, as in I get a lot more happiness out of my own success, but I still yeah. love to be liked. I still won't yeah. piss someone off on purpose or say, yeah. if, like, even if I should stand up for something, I'll be like, mm, I'm yeah. a bit of a mouse. Yeah, wow. Don't know, just damn. Really interesting, and, and what you know, what messages do you have for your own kids in relation to this? Because has it yeah. has it been a, is it a shortcoming? I mean, I'm I'm not seeing it as a shortcoming. Do I you used perceive to, but I don't it anymore. as a shortcoming? No, no. I okay. definitely did when I was younger because I'm like, why? Who cares if that person doesn't yeah. like you? Like it doesn't matter. But I'm like, but I really want them to. Yeah. I'm like not everyone's gonna like you. You're yeah. you're odd, yeah. and that's fine. <laughs> no. And I've accepted that now. So yeah. I guess now I've accepted that. I'd love to have lots of friends, and I do. I have the most beautiful friendship yeah. network um, who all accept me for my quirks and yeah. my failures and my successes and everything, um, and I'm very grateful for that. It took a long time to get that circle, though. Yeah. Um, we're all equally quirky and successful and, like, five kids or whatever. One of my best friends is a doctor with five children. She's extraordinary. Yeah. Um, so I think, it, yes, but it definitely hasn't gone. It's just that I've mm. squashed it a little bit. Yeah. So what is your message for your son, for example? How... How do you get across to him the importance of him just loving himself and trusting himself and not necessarily does, outsourcing that happiness? Yeah, okay. I don't know whether it's a different... I hope it's a, that I've parented him well, but yeah. but my son is just very happy in himself. Yeah. He just likes himself, so he's got a couple of lovely friends, but he's never been someone who's looked for friends, like yeah. been really out there pushing to make yeah. friends. Because it appears to be, and it's one of the classic things about bullying, the more you push as a kid yeah, to try and make friends, the harder it is, the more, the more they, they yeah. turn away from you, which is a really difficult yeah, it's lesson. sad, isn't it? So give my, my, actually, I want to give you one thing. It's yeah, gorgeous. It, my daughter started school for the first time this year, as in proper school, yeah. and they have a friendship ta chair. Yeah. It is the most beautiful idea. I've never heard of it before. But if you're lonely and you don't have any friends to play with, you sit on the friendship chair, and it's a competition who can come and find that kid yeah, the quickest wow. and make a friend. Wow. So the, she was yesterday. She's like, I, I made six friends today. Six kids were sitting on the friendship 
chip chair and I met and played. Isn't that yeah. beautiful? Uh, Never heard that before. Fantastic. It's a really cute way for schools to make yeah. kids realise that other kids are lonely. And so yeah. considering your, you know, and I, I love this vulnerability from you, Yana, about saying that this because it, it, it is a real vulnerability. Let's talk about the, what the media did to you during your career because whenever I told anyone I was interviewing you, they said, oh, drama Yana. Yeah. It's a phrase that went with went, you from yes. some... Journalist being sensationalist. Yeah, exactly. um, and I'd, I'd love you to tell us the story of it a little bit, but what I want to put to you first is that in the foreword to your book, your long-term friend and someone who knows you extremely well, Tamsin Lewis, yep. other Olympian, says, absolutely not. You are not a drama queen, um, that you're intense and that you're Very amazing, <laughs> but you're not a drama queen at all. She said you're emotional and you're sensitive. Yes. I am very emotional, very sensitive. What, how do you feel? Because I've noticed that it appears to me that you're quite guarded in bagging the media for that portrayal of you. Do you know why? Because for fear of worse, I suppose. No, not for no. fear of worse, because it can't get any worse, to be honest. It was, yeah. it was pretty rough at the time. Um, I think two things. I think, firstly, my name rhymed with that word, so it was pretty yeah. clever of that journalist at the time. So all my friends call me Yarns now, which is yeah. interesting. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. I just understood that it wasn't necessarily the media. At the time, I was actually sponsored by Channel 9 and the media and the Olympics were Channel 7 to the right to the Olympics. It was their job to fight for each other for, for, the, for, the, for the story. So I think at the time when it actually happened, it was when I threw my crutches away. And now I saw that as a resilience. I sort of, yeah. look at us Aussies, look what we can do. I so never the story, just give us a quick background of why right, so you threw I, the crutches away. I was away. world champion in 2003, uh, won the world champs, and then it was leading into the Olympic Games and I was undefeated for the year. So it was, I was odds on favorite to win the, the Olympic Games. Um, and then two and a half weeks out from the Olympics, I popped my meniscus, which is a, a piece of, you know, a tissue basically on the side of your, on, of your knee. And it meant I couldn't run. So I had to have an operation. Um, they told me I couldn't run again. So one surgeon was like, you'll never run again. And the other surgeon said, come to me. I reckon I can fix you. Not only can I fix you, I think you'll be racing at the Olympics in two weeks. So we thought, bugger it, let's give it a crack. So yeah. we flew to London um, from Switzerland, had the operation. And I did. I walked out of the hospital. Now I thought, I looked at that completely differently from how it was portrayed in Australia. So I looked at that and thought, look what Aussies can do. No one's keeping us down, mate. Yeah. Whereas they saw it more as me individually, whereas I saw it as a nation. Come yeah. on, this is what our Aussie spirit's like. Yeah. And I could not fathom how that could have been turned into anything mm. other than how Positive, great a week. Yeah. And yeah. unfortunately it was seen as, oh God, how dramatic she is. Yeah. Um, so I think it was it was a, it was a dramatic moment, yeah. but it, to me it was justified. Like, yeah. oh my god, this surgeon has pulled off a miracle. Yeah. This Aussie athlete's going to run at the Olympic Games when two weeks later yeah. she was two weeks before she was. And we're all going to be again. on her side if she wins. I can That's, guarantee. Yeah, of course. It. Yeah. Um, so I think it was just part and parcel with what happened at the time, yeah. and I can't blame that. I mean, that journal, I don't even know who it was to be honest, yeah. but that journal did a very clever thing. And I didn't make it any better because of the fact that I was very teary after I did mm. lose the race. But it wasn't teary because I lost the race. It was teary because of the emotion of the sheer build-up of everything yeah, that had happened. Yeah. And it was also supposed to be a very private moment with Debbie Flintoff King. And mm. unfortunately, the media managed to get into the area they're not allowed to be in. Yeah. Um, and, and they obviously replayed the crying mm. afterwards. Um, but I can tell you, if any athlete didn't cry in that moment when their yeah. whole world was shattered. Yeah. I'd be really worried they needed some psychological help yeah, yeah. because that moment wasn't enough to break And yet them. we watch a rugby league player cry after losing a, a grand now, final. It's a different story and that's a man yeah. and, you know. I think it was the time, Tim. I honestly mm. think if it was, if, if, if I did this, if the same thing happened now to Sally or Pearson or someone, I don't think it would happen again. Yeah. I think we are far more authentic now. We don't yeah, hide our yeah. feelings anymore. Whereas I still think back in the early 2000s, we were still a... Uh, a society that didn't like to see the raw emotion and didn't want to see that side mm. of an athlete. That's a really interesting so, point there because 
you are you you've said uh, you're a very emotional yes, person. Yes, I've always and, been, always and you always been. have been, and yeah. you wear your emotions quite uh, publicly. Um, I I believe that you you have said also that that may have helped you that sort of release mindset 100%. release and and therefore transition from the thing that drove you so hard. You've made so many sacrifices for so long to be an Olympic yep. athlete. And changing, you know, transitioning out of that, we've seen with people it's so difficult. Oh, you know, yes. we're watching it with Cameron Smith in the yes, rugby league yes. now, so oh, reluctant to actually retire. Yeah. But Cameron yes, Smith. so true. Um, and I imagine so reluctant to retire when you put everything yeah. into it. And but he achieved everything as well. Yeah. Like, if you think about it, yeah. Yeah. goodness. And then when there's this incredible letdown, and you've yeah. seen it with friends, I yes, believe that many, you've many, many, many friends. friends almost all, to be honest. And yet you say that your emotion, your preparedness to share your emotions as an outlet, mm. has been really healthy for you. Obviously, having something else to aim at has been very healthy for you as well. My Tell us a bit about that. My whole life, I've never bottled it up. And it's funny, yeah. I went through a period because of the media. I can honestly say this was yeah. a result of the media that I thought my emotions were too much. Like, I'm like, I have to rein this in because it's not... Funniest thing's happening. I've got a cramp in my hamstring. I've just realised I'm sitting with Jana Pittman. That's all right. I just thought I'd let you know. Even old farts like me get cramps in the hamstrings. Oh, funny. Uh, Yeah, no, so I think... So my whole... As a child, I hurt, lose, cry over it, next goal. And there was no residual fear or pain or sadness from losing a goal. So I'd fail so many times. Because I let the emotion out, it didn't matter. You're okay? Yeah, I'm good. Now I've got it in the other leg. It's great. Where do our coffees go? Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. I might have to go and ask them. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so yes, it was. It was one of those ways that I. That was was where my resilience came from, and why I attacked so many goals, yeah. lofty, gusty, you know, and yeah. with gusto. Ambitious, because yeah. yes, because I'm like, oh well, it's failure. I've had a big cry about it. What am I going to do? Whoop de do. Move yeah, on. Move so on. I move on very quickly. Yeah. And so great. that's you. That's you feel my, there that you've got a that choice. That was my strength. I had a choice. Which is really interesting. And I know you mentioned that in the book as well. Yes. When things go to shit. Yes. You go. Okay. Well, I'm going to fall in a heap for a little while, Absolutely. but I can choose to stay in the heap or move on. Or but I can. You've got to let yourself on. really fall. Yeah. And I talked about this in quite a few interviews recently because it's a very strong message I now yeah. share. It was a light bulb moment actually when, my, when I found out my friend took his life actually because I realised you can either, he didn't allow himself to break until it was completely over, if you yeah. know what I mean. So, so, but from about 2004 onwards, because of all the media drama, I started thinking that's not allowed. You should block your emotions fake who you are, yeah. put a wall up, don't let anybody in because everybody hates that side of you, Yana. Yeah. You've got to block it. Stop yeah, being wow. a drama queen. Stop. Yeah, well. and, I, and I do agree that I'm not dramatic. I'm just extremely emotional and yeah. very honest, extremely yeah. honest. Yeah. So therefore, I stopped doing it. I started being this cardboard copy. I started being far more like, you know, the athlete you wanted me to be mm. where I didn't do interviews and I didn't show up, you know, as a person. I was just like, yes, that was a great race. Congratulations to out mm. and did nothing. It didn't make any difference. Made absolutely no difference because mm. not being there means that they were just they will write a story anyway because you've got this reputation. So, mm. and so then I got to a point where I'm like, worse because I was doing it on the, in the media. I started doing it to myself too. So I started sticking pictures all over my wind, all over my mirror, saying "Be resilient," um, you know, "Smile." You've got to be around positive people. All these as- yeah. affirmations everywhere. Yeah. And every time something broke, I wouldn't allow myself to cry. I wouldn't allow myself to break. I'd bottle it up, shove it away, and move on. And what happened? I got injured, injured, lost, lost my relationship, cried. My eating disorder got Bulimia, worse. Yeah. It was just it was shit. And it's funny, and it wasn't until I got to about 2013 when I was starting medicine and doing bobsled that I realised actually my strength was that I cried. My strength was that I wow. was dramatic. Wow. And all of a sudden I literally overnight shed it all, bawled my eyes out for a week, ate everything I could think of, didn't throw it up, just literally went through a moment of complete and utter yeah. 
breaking, like breaking down and, I, and resurrected out of it. And I've yeah. done it ever since. Every yeah. time I fail now, I bore my eyes out. Every time something goes wrong, even happy now, like I cried my eyes out when my son was born. Yeah. It was the best thing ever, but I bore my eyes out. Yeah. And I allowed it out. That's a really interesting message. I'm thinking particularly, and I might be being sexist and I might be wrong, but I'm thinking particularly of teenage girls yeah. who go through dramas. You just got to let it go. You know, yeah. um, because there is something that says don't be dramatic That's about right. this. Don't, don't catastrophise it. It's a negative beast. But it's stoic. not catastrophising. It's actually allowing yourself to be human. That's healthy. Because you can't, yes, right, you can't. And it's sad for our boys though as well. I actually, yeah, yeah maybe mildly disagree with you because our boys aren't allowed to cry. They aren't allowed to be a broken person. They have yeah. to be a human man. Like, yeah, you know, I'm yeah. a strong boy and I play football and, yeah. you know, whereas I think sometimes, and that's actually where my son is quite, he cries very easily yeah. and then it's gone. So he's over it. Yeah. He's over any failure in two seconds. So he is yeah. similar to me in that, in that in that setting. And I think it's, it's we are slowly getting better at this authenticity yeah. thing yeah. In, in, in Australia. Yeah. Um, but it's still not loved, but it's the way to be successful. Because if you can move on from your failure to the next goal, that's how you that's how you keep hitting your head against brick walls because you get over it and yeah. then you move on. So for you, one of the I love what you're oh, saying there because I haven't heard other yeah. people say it before. You yeah. know, that, that really thinking. that emotional outlet <laughs> has been so great for you. Desperately need it. And and now medicine has been so great for you as yeah. well because it's you're amazing. really starting again and now uh, an ankle injury or a knee injury is not going to stop no, you being a doctor. that's true. Thank God. <laughs> no more plantar fasciitis yeah. or whatever it's called. Yeah. And, you know, but look, I have it in medicine too. You know, yeah. I, had it the, I, I had it recently where a patient of mine lost their baby and I bawled my eyes out with her. And it was like, yeah. I thought, and later I thought, oh God, I shouldn't have done that. And she actually came up to me and thanked me and said, you're the first doctor who's actually shared my pain with me. Yeah. Um, will you please help me get pregnant again? Yeah. And I can't yet because I'm too junior to do her obstetric. But I said, I'd love to keep in contact with you yeah, and, yeah. and let's see how we can go. And it was, it was, it was actually beautiful to see that it's yeah. exactly the same in medicine. Yeah. The patient is okay. If you to choose, see, if, if you, you choose, choose not to be robotic. You don't have to be. Yeah. It may be your, also maybe your protection. There are certainly some things in medicine you need to just be able to be yeah. resilient to. In other words, it's so yeah, totally. heartbreaking to see you need to have that. To but, protect them and yourself. And you. Yeah. Um, but it was a very, very touching moment with her. Uh, um, uh, we're short of time, so I'm yeah. just going to very quickly ask you. You mentioned meditation several times mm. in your book. Um, is that something that you still practice? Is that something you practice? Not as much now. Yeah. Um, and what does that do for you? I, you know. needed, I needed it to quiet my mind, yeah. whereas I don't need to quiet my mind anymore. Yeah. I've learned a lot since my book, funnily enough. Yeah. I should write a chapter, an extra chapter because yeah. I've definitely changed since finishing medical school. Um, I do Running is my meditation, though, in truth. Yeah. So training, I still train like an elite athlete even though I'm not doing anything. Yeah, wow. Well. Um, so, <laughs> I know you've yeah. got some goal about Masters goal Games or something. Or something. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm guessing it that yeah, by the way. I don't know that. Oh, I'd love to run masters. Yeah. Love to run. I coached a masters athlete last year. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but yes, I just that's my that's my meditation now is my time to just be running in the you know running at the track with the wind in your hair and just yeah. allowing all the thoughts of the day to process. Mm. So, so um, you're out of time now. Let's uh, just to finish things off. Where where to for you and what advice for young people? Well, I think you'd know where the advice is coming up. My, my advice would be to allow yourself to feel the pain of something that doesn't go well and then celebrate the victories. Yeah. You may not always be as, as liked by people, absolutely, um, but if we change the culture to allow ourselves to be more human um, mm. and if you talk about it with your friends so and actually sit down with your friends and say, look, we, I think we should do this as a collective or if the teachers talk about it with their yeah. students to make it nor to normalise emotion and normalise 
um, how people feel about things, mm. you're far more likely to be resilient and achieve the goals that you want to do. And the other big advice is if you want to achieve something, you must work at it. Yeah. Unfortunately, there is no ray round. Yeah. Uh, my coach used to say a great saying back in the day, you can't taper a toothpick. So in, an, <laughs> in sport, you know, you need to taper towards an event, but if you don't yeah. put the effort in, if you don't put the training in, yeah, yeah. it's not going to work. Yeah. So um, that would definitely be my, be my biggest advice for young people. Yeah. And where, where to for Jana Pittman? What a, what a, oh, I don't know. You don't, Medicine, obviously. Yeah. Um, maybe another baby. I'd like five. I love children. <laughs> you said very early on in your life that you wanted five. Is I know, that right? It's always what I've yeah, wanted, yeah, five kids. Yeah. I'm yeah. one of five, actually, so I get it's it. It's okay. Yeah. You survived. Five's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Um, I just want to be a really great mum and give my kids the opportunities that I had as a child. And, uh, and you know, I, I do believe, I'm hoping there's something in medicine. It, I love all medicine, mm. but I'm hoping there's something pretty special in medicine that I can bring mm. to this world and, and leave when I go. Yeah, because your real passion is obstetrics it and is. gynecology. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I really, I love birthing women. It's, there's nothing like seeing new life come into the world and, yeah. and the reactions of the husbands when their babies are born yeah. And, yeah, and, and the kindness in it. I mean, there's tragedy in there too, don't get me wrong. I've now done obstetrics, so like mm. as a doctor, and it can be really heartbreaking, but it's yeah. also the, sa it's the same as sport to me. It's yeah. the same highs and lows. Yeah. And, yeah, hopefully there'll be something there, you know, some new science that I can bring. I just started my PhD this week, so hopefully there might be some research element there as well. Of course you just started your PhD this week. <laughs> yeah, maybe leave that bit out. <laughs> Good on you, Yana. Well, I've got a million more questions for you, but I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to let you find that coffee find that never child. came. Yeah, find your child. That yeah, he's asleep by the sound of it. sitting there, which is lovely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right, thanks thank so much. I really appreciate it. Absolute Good pleasure. Well, Tim. Um, Got to say, I think if any listener was in any way doubting your story about running past Jana Pittman on a morning run, you know, <laughs> I think that's well and truly been put to bed after they heard you pull a hamstring having a coffee. I think that that'll do me, mate. <laughs> yes, well, the, it's, uh, I might have shot myself in the foot there. Elite level. Yeah. A coffee that didn't actually even arrive, but I, I still managed to get cramps yep. just talking to an just Olympian. Fantastic. You know, the stresses of talking to an Olympian. <laughs> what, uh, what what did you get out of it? What was one of the big takeaways for you from, from that conversation? Yeah, well, look, I, I really, as I said in, in, in the intro, I think Jana's vulnerability um, is really quite amazing. She's very happy to tell stories where she doesn't necessarily look so great and her book is very much like that, but she really... She told two stories in there where it became really clear that natural talent isn't enough. Mm. Um, that, you know, the, the whole point of mindset, this belief that we can get better with effort. Mm. And I think that's the real takeaway of this story. And, mm. and you know, high achievers, she's a high achiever in, in a couple of different fields now. And I think really, as we suggested there in the interview, we probably haven't heard the last of Jana Pittman as a doctor either. She's got mm. very high aspirations to do something very significant in medicine. It's not – she's got the ticket now. She can work as a doctor and she is, but it's that's not enough for her. Mm. She's she's pushing. She wants to achieve, improve, get better every day and mm. uh, and I think we'll hear more about her. Yeah. Well, let, let's hope so because, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great chat. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see who you are running past – in the next few weeks and yeah. see who, who you can get on. Have you got anyone? I mean... Oh, I'm thinking... I mean, I, I know he's retired, so he's probably, you know... But Usain Bolt, if you could yeah. get hold of Usain, yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, I reckon I could get a hold of Usain, you know, as long as I do my stretches <laughs> you've got a stretch Because you've got those dodgy <laughs> hamstrings. 
<laughs> right. If you enjoyed that conversation, then please make sure you like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and share the podcast because doing that just makes it a little bit easier for other people to find us here. As always, if you'd like to find out more about our work or submit a question for an upcoming Q&A session or even suggest a guest for the show, then head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page there. But until our next episode, thanks for joining us, Tim. Thanks very much, Dan. And take care. Take it easy.